22, and we're going to read from verse 14 right down to the end of that chapter, verse 22. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. We've been looking in these Thursday services together through the book of Hosea. And part of uh, Rod's desire in that is that he feels like there's a message for the church, a message for the church, for all of us as individual little members and appendages of that great big random body that is the church and and I'm I'm minded to agree with him that actually there's something rich in the in the verses of Hosea that would speak out to us that Hosea is one of the the prophets that speaks uh, himself into a time of political and religious turmoil if that isn't where we are I don't know when we'll define ourselves as that an age of people seeming to push constantly to the extremes of of societies and communities feeling fractured, of political debate being hotter and less kind than it's ever been. The the prophets, they they shaped the people of God. They they spoke to the people of Israel about how they should live out the law and what God was calling them to be. But they also shaped the church in a profound way. They speak of the justice and the mercy and the heart for others and for the Lord that we should have. Also, the, the prophets, they point to Jesus. And I think more and more and more in an age that is obsessed with selfies where the cameras on the front of our phone are getting even better than the cameras on the back of our phone as we, as, as we focus more and more on how we extend our kind of imagery, how we feel self-satisfaction and self-fulfillment. Actually, there's something quite powerful in the minor prophets that all of them, in each of their own ways, in, in actually small parts that I think a lot of them didn't understand, they point to Jesus. I don't know if you know, but um, the Jewish ordering of the Old Testament finishes with the kings, and the Christian ordering of the Old Testament finishes with the prophets, as we point towards just the character of God. The character of God. Not, the, not just the regalness of his reign, but actually who he is, what his kingdom will be like. 
And the thing is, the people of Israel in this time and in the time that Hosea spoke so eloquently into, in this time that um, Hosea lived a life, lived a prophetic message so powerfully into, was a fractured time. It was a really, really fractured time. Actually, the people of Israel had taken on worship of so many different gods, of, of the nations around them. They worshipped Molech the despicable, uh, who desired infant sacrifice. They, they worshipped Asherah. In fact, at this time that Hosea spoke into in the northern kingdom, at Dan and Bethel, there were idols set up for the people of Israel to gather and worship and not worship the one true God. It was a fractured time. It was actually a time of prosperity. It was a time of wealth. Um, This wasn't a million miles after the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon. This wasn't a million miles after the time when Israel was, in terms of its influence and its size as a kingdom, was at its biggest. Yet it was on the precipice of destruction. It was on the precipice of being carried into Babylon, of being destroyed by Assyria. And part of it was, part of those kind of dramatic historical events that we know about come from this fracturedness, come from this worship of, a, of multiple gods, because actually the, the image of God that we worship drastically affects our heart and our community and how we do things. That actually, idolatry and injustice are just two sides of the same coin. And it was almost this belief in Israel. They believed in, um, the theological word is henotheism. It's this idea that there are different gods in different places. There are, there are multiple gods. And, you know, if you go to this town, you worship this god. If you go to this city, you worship this god. You, you probably know a little bit of this. If you study any Greek history, you know of different cities and towns where certain gods were worshipped more than others. And Israel almost had this idea that their god, the one true living god, the creator of heaven and earth, the presence of love and grace and hope and light living in amongst them was somehow just this desert warrior God who was, who was there for the tough times when they needed taken out of Egypt. But now, now they were prosperous. Now they were affluent. Now they were influential. Now the nations came to them to trade and actually they needed to kind of upgrade their gods a little bit. They needed to trade with other gods. And Israel starts to turn to these, to these other places. And Hosea, the prophet, powerfully is called by God to go and marry um, what is kind of euphemistically described. Um, he's called to marry Gomer, a prostitute, to mirror the faithlessness of Israel, the way she prostitutes herself to other gods, the way she takes away her shame and her dignity herself. That sounds nothing like us, right? I mean, how many of us here passed an idol on the way to City Temple and thought, I'm just going to cast a few of my uh, gold coins, my doubloons, I'm going to just offer some food to this image of a monkey god here, and, uh, and then I'm going to walk up the steps. Actually, I think part of the modern condition is, isn't a million miles from that. This fractured nature to our lives, the way that we can be remarkably different people online, at work, in church, with our family, 
I think actually more and more and more we worship different gods in different places. Part of what Rod's been kind of stirring us as, we, as we've looked through the book of Hosea is how different in some ways the, the God of the church is from the God that seems to be doing stuff out there in the world, particularly the God of the Western church. I look around what I've seen as successful churches in the UK and they're, they're filled with very sincere, authentic people who I think, on the whole, they, they love Jesus, but, it, but it's filled with a celebrity culture and a consumerism that just doesn't look that different from the outside world to me. I, I see lots of our Christian walk and our faith actually just seems very misguided, just seems like we have this entire subculture and realm of Christianity that has its own music and its own fonts and its own uh, names of things that just doesn't quite relate to the rest of the world. We have a fractured society that doesn't, for me, doesn't match up with some of what I see of what the gospel is doing in parts of uh, the Muslim world, parts of the Far East, parts of South America where the gospel is just exploding and God's spirit is doing something because the church just seems to be holding on a lot less to maybe some of their structures and some of their centralism. And maybe another way that we see this fracturedness is, is when we as Christians try and share our faith. And I don't know about you, but the most common reaction that I get to you're a Christian, isn't the kind of persecution that Christians fear of. The biggest reaction I get when I say to people, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead to bring me new life and hope and that he is reconciling all things into and under himself. The dramaticness of the gospel often receives a, that's good for you, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, geez, I'm sure that could have happened, that could be true, yeah doesn't make a difference to me. I mean, Buddha was a good guy as well, right? I mean, he did some pretty cool things. Because we have this idea that our faith should somehow be a fractured corner of our lives. We have this idea that actually to be a Christian shouldn't mean that we make different career and financial decisions than people outside of the church make. And actually, I, I think God would call us away from that. See, God speaks to Hosea so powerfully in this passage. Where, where the Israelites would have different gods for different things. Gods for the festival, gods for the harvest, gods to please um, their, their wife's womb, that they would be fertile and have incredible things. Actually, I think Hosea would speak things to us where we have a God of our faith that's very personal and private, when we have a God of the church, when we have a God of our job, when we have a God of our finance. I think Hosea says something from that God who describes himself time and time again as an all-consuming fire. In the words of Deuteronomy 15, a, a jealous God, a God who wants all of us. He would speak against those, those spheres of influence. And how would God speak? How would God speak into us as we try and relegate him to a bit part in our lives, a, a, a tiny kind of personal subscript in our society, that somehow the choice of what God you serve is no different than the choice of, of what brand of cereal that you eat in the morning? Actually, I think God would do what he's done. He would reveal his character to us through his prophets. A central characteristic 
of God that we find particularly in, in the book of Hosea is, is a Hebrew word, chesed. It's a beautiful word. And actually it occurs throughout all of the Old Testament. And it's translated loads of different ways. It's translated faithfulness. It's translated mercy. It's translated loving kindness. It's translated dependability. Actually, when God describes his covenant to Israel as he's brought them out of Egypt for the first time, he describes his covenant as a covenant of chesed. That is, one of the main characteristics of God is that he is a covenantal God. That is, he is a God who wants faithful relationship with us. That he lovingly chooses us and shows us mercy, kindness, loyalty, duty. And in the same way that actually Hosea's prostitute wife goes off and sells herself to someone else, God comes to us and just like Gomer, he he buys back what he already owns because this covenantal relational God, he acts to us in terms of his character rather than in terms of our actions, which is a beautiful thing. That's what mercy is. Mercy is God responding to us according to his faithfulness, not according to what our actions justly deserve. And how does he summarize this? He summarizes this, I think, in this uh, beautiful verse, in verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my Baal. There's a bit of a joke going on here, a bit of a, a wordplay. Because Baal isn't just the name of a god that the Israelites worship. Baal is also the word for master. Master. Baal was known as the lightning god. He was quite elusive, worshipped by lots of different nations in the Canaanite region. But ultimately, he was a god of authority, a god of control. He was a strong god, a god of fertility, a god of prosperity, ultimately. And God says, you're not to call me that. You're not to relate to me in that way. But you're to call me husband. That actually in all of our fracturedness of our life, we're always called to relate back to this loving God who wants to embrace us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to to call us his home, to to tenderly woo us, to allure us, as as it's so evocatively said in this translation. He wants to bring us to himself. Hosea is a book that Jesus quotes extensively. Hosea is a book quoted extensively by Paul. That actually, the act of Jesus coming to us is an act of God coming to woo us, to allure us, to bring us to him. And the thing is with a marriage is, I, I am married to Rachel. This is my wedding ring. It cost me one pound. It's stainless steel so it won't rust. Um, mostly because I'm very clumsy and I lose things a lot. And I thought, if I get a wedding ring, I'm going to destroy this and lose it very quickly. And sure enough, buying a really cheap wedding ring has meant I've not lost it at all and it stays, stays there. It's kind of, that's the way things go sometimes, isn't it? But the thing is, Rachel, my wife now, she's, she's um, doing, doing some ministry with some women at the moment. She does work for the Salvation Army as a trained teacher, helping them go into schools. She... Uh, is a mother to my two-year-old boy who is totally crazy. Don't know where he gets it from. 
yet she still acts in a way that is shaped by the fact that she is my wife. That's how she acts. I'm not an unkind master where when I'm with her, she has to do certain things and dress a certain way, but when she leaves my presence, she can act another way. Actually, our marriage is something that shapes all of her interactions in her life, shapes her diary. It literally shapes how she spends her money. We both have joint bank cards for the same account, which oftentimes feels like a disastrous decision for both of us, but when we find out what each other's been spending and eating for lunch and all those exciting things. But actually, that's what loving covenantal relationship is. It's something that should spread into all of our lives, and I think that should be the biggest conviction and the biggest challenge to the church in our age, that Christianity has been hemmed in the borders. We've created such an effective subculture and way of acting and being in church that doesn't affect our lives. And actually, we need to rediscover what does it mean to be a Christian waiter? What does it mean to be a Christian lawyer? What does it mean to be a Christian banker? Because fundamentally, that should be a different thing. Fundamentally, we're married to God. And how we relate in other areas of our life should be different. But there's also another strong message in that, isn't there? That actually, when we're called to relate to God as master, we would have... Uh, a relationship that is defined by fear, by control, by lack of freedom, by duty. Yet we're not called to that, are we? We're called to the duty of, of husband-wife relationship. Men, you've got to join me with, with me in this. We, we, are, we are the bride of Christ. And maybe, maybe some of you are feeling like, actually, my life just feels fractured. And my faith and the love that I have for the Lord and my relationship with him doesn't bleed into the other areas of my life. God would want to woo you back to himself, that all of your life would be soaked with his love and grace and shaped by what he would do with your hands. But actually, maybe for some of us, we, we're coming from a different place of just fear of God, of trying to please God, of pushing, of striving, and actually, God would say, I'm not, I don't want to be your master. I want to be your husband. I want to love you. I want to speak tenderly. And I want you to respond to me with love. Why don't you join me in praying together? Father God, we, we thank you for the words of the prophet Hosea. God, we thank you for, for the way that we've been journeying together in looking at the message to the church. God, today we ask that you would speak the message into our hearts. God, that, that actually something of your husbandry, your faithfulness, your faithful love for us would imprint itself on our hearts today. That where our lives are fragmented, they would find a oneness in relationship with you. And God, where our lives are, are bound by duty and fear, that we would turn and love you wholeheartedly again. In Jesus' name we ask.